Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 138th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that can totally confirm that your order has been processed, pending review of the processing of your order. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, fresh back from sunny California, a.k.a. at wizardbumpin. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, James. It's good to be back. And I've said that after every vacation, but I mean it much more today than I have in the past. (laughs) Are, Are you running away from your life in Buffalo to become a movie star in Hollywood? Uh, no. Um, so we landed in LA and I determined that LA is a hell world that is not actually filled (laughs) with humans, but is actually a sort of hell for those damned souls that are doomed to inhabit it until the end of time. Um, we, I, we, we landed and like we were trying to enjoy it. And within like four hours, my wife and I are looking at each other like, I don't think we like it here. But we were like trying to like it and it just kept getting worse. Like it was just awful. At one point we spent and we clocked it because we had messages to to time it 45 minutes looking for a parking spot one night. And it's not <laughs> like we were passing up on like paid parking. You, we could not find a place to legally leave the car. 45 minutes in, a, in, a, in, in an area where there was tons of parking. There was just nothing but cars. At one point, the 405 is nine lanes wide in both directions it's 18 lanes and it will come to a standstill oh yeah (laughs) the 401 in toronto is very similar to the 405 um although we don't we only have a couple of places where we have the uh traffic lights on the on-ramp to the highway that's a sure sign your highway is in trouble Mm -hmm. yes yeah we saw several of those neighborhoods when i had seen them before from traveling for work but i don't think my wife had (laughs) So what neighborhoods were you trying to have fun in? Uh, we were more on the southeast, southern part. Uh, we were in Long Beach primarily. Um, okay. Because that's where like the wedding we were attending was. Uh, so it. we like saw the Queen Mary. Uh, we did Disneyland a little bit. So, I mean, it's not like it was just suffering at all moments in time, but like as just a place that I would want to be, no way. It just you know, was not enjoyable. Yeah. I, I've had more fun up in like Hollywood, North Hollywood. Uh you know, south of, there's a lot of beautiful drives up in the uh, the mountain homes up uh, north of Hollywood. Uh, like, what was uh, that? Not Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive. That whole area is gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. Well, those are the areas that are supposed to be. Those are the areas that are supposed to be beautiful, and I don't doubt it whatsoever that they're very nice. Uh, I think they're definitely more touristy, especially like the north, you know, the Hollywood area, because um, mm-hmm. there it's more about the tourist attractions and like people living there, right? But but that means you're probably not really going to live in that area. I don't know. We didn't. I grant that we did not see a lot of LA, but we did not care for what we saw. San Diego, in <laughs> contrast, was great. I, we really liked San Diego. The zoo was awesome. The scenery was awesome. The the, you know the drive along the coast like every part of san diego is great so uh that was much better and we didn't see san francisco so i can't speak to it but 
Yeah, San Diego has a much more mellow, kind of laid-back vibe, mm-hmm. uh, more of a sur- kind of surf and suburbs town. Um, I, I find LA is all about – it's so big, so sprawling that there, it's a whole lot of sprawl, and then there are pockets of awesomeness, really great neighborhoods, great food, great music, great scenes, great nightlife, but you've got to like know where you're going because if you just like park a car on a random street and start walking, you're probably not going to find what you're looking for. Yeah, which I, I, I can see that. Um, so. Yeah. Also, it doesn't help that the uh, restaurant, my favorite restaurant in town, is apparently closed. Um, <laughs> yeah. That I, that, that sucks. That place is amazing. Did yeah. you did you manage to have any meals that you were impressed with out there? No, that was the other thing. Is we tried and just really kept missing. Um, and because that's a, that's the thing we do. Like especially when we travel, we really like to eat. Like the wedding cake toppers for our wedding were forks. Like, that's what we enjoy doing on vacation. Um, so we we tend to look pretty hard. Uh, we had one in uh, in San Diego in La Jolla that was pretty good, but all of our meals in LA, none of them were great. Although to be fair, I'm not sure we actually went for a real dinner in LA because our nights were pretty busy. Um, but yeah, we were we were unimpressed for the most part. Uh, I also thought the service the service literally every restaurant we went to was bad. I don't tend tend to complain about service very much. Just keep my water glass full and and I'm pretty much fine with it. But they everyone was slow, not like obnoxiously slow you know, but slow enough that it was noticeable every time. And like, they would never come over after the fact, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, we're eating out three meals a day for seven days. And it was every meal. I'm like, I don't understand. Is it just because I'm from New York and I'm used to everyone being faster? (laughs) Did you uh, stick to your uh, plan to ditch magic or did you hit up some stores? No, I, we didn't go to any stores. I didn't, I I didn't make the time for it. And I generally don't. I mean, when I'm on vacation, I'm like, I don't want to Think about it, deal with it. And, you know, it's one thing if you're international where you can really feel like you might hit some cool stuff or if you're in a small town like that you you grew up in type of thing and there's one store and you think you might be able to find some deals because they don't keep it updated, that's fine too. But, yeah, I wasn't really expecting a lot out of San Diego or LA and I just had better things to do with my time. Yeah, I had up a few shops when I was there selling that 30K collection. Um, but I think the only really fun fun collectibles purchase I made while I was there was I went to some open air like weekend market, which was pretty awesome, actually, because, you know, as per all of the reality shows that are built around it, the secondhand antiques and collectibles market in LA is pretty amazing, given the history of the city, how old the city is, and, um, you know, the density of the population. So uh, I think I found a whole bunch of like vintage transformers or something that were way underpriced and made a good grab one day. Oh, that's really cool. I know that semi-related but when i lived in dc for a short period of time or just outside of dc i would go to the thrift store just like a random thrift store not even like a huge one or a low you know a big deal one and it would be let's find like hugo boss on the racks like hugo boss jackets for like seven dollars it was like these are like usually two to three hundred upwards of a grand or two depending on what hugo boss line it came from meanwhile and you know buffalo they're all from macy's so I, I i get what you mean by like if you're in a major urban area those sort of like secondhand deals can be a lot more interesting than they are if you're just in somewhere from the midwest yeah all right so what do we got on the agenda today well james this week we have uh, as i'm sure it will shock our listeners a show in three parts actually uh segment one our top movers we'll talk about the cards that have moved the most in price this past week segment two we'll talk about our cards to watch those are cards james and i think have a pretty bright future and segment three our topic of the week we'll be talking about the guilds of ravnica mythic edition um which you and i were trying not to discuss before the cast started because we both 
wanted to share our experiences today and we had to keep stopping ourselves so that we didn't go through it all before we got recording. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so let's get started. Uh, our top mover of the week, well, I should say the first card on our top mover list of the week, Howling Mine out of revised edition. So those are, of course, non-foil, white border. Uh, started around 10 or 11, up towards 15. So a little bit of a bump. Um, I, it looks like you are thinking this is part of some revised targeting going on. Yeah, we've seen Shivan Dragon, Sarah Angel, Savannah Lions, and several other revised cards get hit up after the even older versions of each of those um, had already been drained. Sometimes there's an argument for them in old school, Some, but I, I really think that this is just... We've seen the targeting of the sets from like 93 to 95 bleed on into 95 to 98 sets um, also, and then... And then also the first few years of foils um, being targeted, 7th edition foils, um, which are a little further down the path. But stuff like Urza's, uh, the Urza's block for sets of foils, Marcadian masks and so forth have been pretty heavily targeted all year. And I, my interpretation of that has been that the speculators have been looking deeper and deeper into the barrels. Yeah, which I think I think mostly makes sense once you've cleaned up all of the other options and you're like well i think there's still a well here but i have to dig a little harder for the water you're gonna be like well what's next well maybe near mint revised cards because there's a lot of revised but there's a lot fewer that are near mint um and you know they're not cards that i'm gonna buy but maybe they're predicting that the type of people who want to collect cards are getting priced out of unlimited in the other various sets and so now they have to move on to sets that are a little easier to chase that, that people starting to collect now might actually be able to finish. So also the, it's the kind of speculation you would expect from somebody like a Rudy, um, or at least the way he portrays himself, that the personality of a person who's completely out of touch with the competitive scene doesn't understand what decks are actually hot or, um, you know, doesn't analyze the meta to understand which which cards have the highest demand doesn't really know the card pool all that well, um, but is looking for, you know, structural um, hooks that they can hang their speculation strategy on. So let me get, let, let me pull up this easy list of all the rares from such and such a set and sort them by price and then look at how many, how much inventory there is of each and decide to whether I'm going to go deep. Sure. I mean, that's also possible. I guess we, you and I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt when we look at these cards, when we look at the price increases, like, oh, this card went up in price. This must be kind of what the person's thinking. And, you know, sometimes it's really dumb and we call it up, but for the most part, we're, we're looking for the purpose, the good logic. But occasionally it's just not going to be there. Sometimes these cards are going to show up on our list. And frankly, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and you know, the person who did it doesn't really deserve credit for a good decision. Essentially. I, I can name at least 10 of our listeners who ping me on a regular basis, showing off the like hundredth copy of something they've purchased, trying to corner the market that they don't realize they're the only person in the market. <laughs> Time to name names, James. Name names. Yeah. No, let's not do that. <laughs> All right. So moving right along. Chrome Mox Foils from Mirrodin. This is the original printing of the card. I'm going from 60 to 85 for a 40% plus gain. Chrome Mox is kind of, feels kind of low profile, but it's actually in 13,000 plus EDH uh, rec decks and obviously sees legacy play across uh, a variety of different uh, archetypes. Um, not in an, an important card in modern, I believe, because it's not part of the modern card pool. Um but between Legacy and EDH, there is strong demand. I've, I had no trouble unloading EMA uh, Chrome Moxes that I acquired under 15 uh, from when Eternal Masters came out. Um, 
for more than a double up recently. So I'm not su- super surprised to see the other foil version uh, of the card making a move. Yeah, I mean, there aren't going to be that many <clears throat> foil copies of Chrome Mox from Mirrodin. Um, obviously, Mirrodin was in very low supply relative to today's standards. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't love these foils because the Mirrodin foils were all so bad. Um, and it's not a large price movement either. Uh, I mean, unless these are in pristine condition, I really don't want anything to do with them because anyone who wants a foil is just going to go get the GP promo. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, this is not a card I'm particularly eager to own, especially if it's not Minty Mint. Interestingly, I would bet that even though Mirrodin is over a decade old, that there are more Mirrodin foils of Chrome Mox than there are Eternal Masters because Mirrodin was a fall, a large fall set. It was a rare in that set. Um, and Eternal Masters, it was a mythic and the set was at a much lower print run, I would guess. Uh, oh, this was in Eternal Masters. You kept saying Eternal Masters. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? But it was in Eternal Masters, yeah. wasn't it? I was just thinking of the GP mm-hmm. promo. Um, yeah, and apparently the, the yeah. Eternal Masters foils you can get for about 50 bucks, which smells to me like it might be an opportunity if the other version's already making a move. Now, that sounds a lot better. Like, foils of the EMA version definitely sound reasonable. You get that great Vulcan Baga art, too. Uh, let's see. Foils, yeah, 50 bucks, and there are very few of them. Um, so there you go. There's your stealth pick of the week right there is probably foil, $50 foil EMA Chromoxes. Yeah, Mark, there, it's there are two other foils there, at 50. There are two mm-hmm. two other versions to consider. Uh, there is the Masterpiece, of course, which is hanging in there around 100, 110, which probably brackets the upside because that also has absolutely stunning art, actually. Um, and then there's the pretty uh, the ugliest of the bunch, which is the Grand Prix promo from a while back. Um, there they seem to be sitting in and around. Well, actually, uh, there's very few of those sitting around at about fifty bucks. Um, but I don't like them much because I'm not a big fan of the the look of those versus the other available options. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as good as the Vulcan Vaga art on the EMA, that's for sure. Uh, and it's missing some of the niceties of the newest copies, which is, you know, the little foil on the bottom and what have you. Um, so I, I agree, it might end up as a budget version versus the EMA one. Uh, but who knows? In either case, um, I think my takeaway here is that the... I don't love the foil ones from Mirrodin, uh, but I think that they are a bellwether for the EMA copies at 50 yeah. Um, after that, I, I I think those are going to get from fifty to eighty. Yeah. Just mark that down as one of my picks for next <laughs> okay. week. Okay. Now you already have three, so that, it's going to be mine. I'm going to make it my pick. All right. Okay. <laughs> it's, very, it's very relevant. All right. So n- next on the list, we've got Terminus from Avison Restored foils going from twenty to thirty. Um, that's about a fifty percent gain. I think this has got more room to run. Um. Terminus has become the sweeper of choice for the modern blue-white X controls decks um, that are have seen a resurgence this year in the format. And I've had no less than six different offers on my playset in the last two weeks, all of which were scandalously low. Um, and people were trying to make arguments to me based on the market price on TCG Player, which I just laughed at. Um, because in a situation like this where inventory is drying up, the card is hot, and you want the full playset, um, I'm more than happy to sit on those for another six weeks and wait for people to wise up. 
Um, yeah, Terminus, I don't know. They were that was in the FTV set too, and the AVR foils are bad. Was this did they this show up in something else too? Let me take a look here. Okay. Yeah, it's Modern Masters 2017. <clears throat> and I don't they're not running four of them either, right? It's three yeah, it's pretty close. I think it's like three or four. Are they moving on? When I was looking before, and granted it's been uh it's been a little while since I've checked the list specifically to see how many terminus they were running. It wasn't four, or it wasn't even three. Um yeah, okay. I mean if the supply if nope, the supply nope, is full four. Is full it? four. Alright, so they <clears> moved <throat> up. They moved up. They were not yeah. doing that the last time I looked. Correct. Um I mean if supply is draining, then they're moving. That's fine. I, I, I'm positive I have looked this card up on multiple occasions trying to make it a card that I wanted to buy, but the conditions were never right in the past. Just sounds like we crossed that threshold uh when I wasn't looking. I think what happened is that Modern got filled up with a bunch of creatures that putting where putting them in the graveyard is the last thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to tuck them is much more important. That could be it. That could definitely be it. That it just the conditions have changed just enough in the aggro matches type of thing where uh, well, it's more well bl- for like it's more like Bloodgast and Hollow One and all of the creatures that keep popping out of the graveyard, right? Yes. The you definitely don't want to supreme verdict them. You want to put them back in the bottom of the library where none of the cards relevant cards on the other side can interact with them. right are you not considering those aggro decks a combo aggro i guess yeah i mean they're definitely a combo element i'm not disagreeing with you i get there i guess in my brain they're combo or they're aggro first because they just want to kill you by attacking over a couple terms turns but i i like these foils for a couple of reasons a we just saw it in modern masters 2017 and it showed up in commander 2018 so between the two of those that's got to give it three another three years or so uh um Yes, yeah, you've definitely got some room to wait on that one. It, there's just it literally was just reprinted, so there's in the very you know last supplementary product, so that should give you at least a year, um, especially given that there was another <laughs> product not much more than a year before that. So I don't think they're going to go back to back to back on Terminus. So I think and and there was also from the Vault of Annihilation like two years ago. So that's three printings in three years, um, all told. Um, in slightly different situations. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's safe for a little while. I think the original foils are um, going to get up into the like 40 or $50 range before they recede, so long as blue-white control continues to post up in modern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board. If, if the conditions have finally improved and the supply has gotten low enough, then, then yes, I think that the time has come for this. Yeah, I, I was looking at buy listing a set, my last play set today, and I said, nah, Save them for retail okay. sales. Uh, following that, history of Benalia out of Dominaria, non-foils, 12 to about 20. Looking at like this is probably standard demand. Uh, the card's very powerful, but I mean, that's not a surprise. This is not new information. Uh, we knew that during the last standard format. It was looking pretty good. The control decks were signing it in, and I really wanted to make this my pick a couple times, but it was never cheap enough that I could realistically tell you guys to do it. Uh, but it looks like it snuck down there a little bit towards 12 uh, over the last two months, three months, probably um, is looking, but jump back up, probably missed your window to get in up at $20. Now it's not to say that it couldn't go up. Uh, it could be $30 if it's a staple and standard. Uh, but I don't know if, if you're paying 20 bucks now, I think the buy-in is too late. Yeah. I think this is starting to, you're starting to think about, if you have a big pile of these, you're starting to think about selling. 
Um, you, especially if you're going to a major tournament in the next couple of weeks, you'll probably have an opportunity to buy list them at a pretty reasonable number. Um, and if somebody's willing to give you a pretty sweet bonus, like I know face-to-face games, for instance, locally in Toronto is giving a 40% bonus on trade-ins this week. Um, so I took some foil misty reinforce over there today and got more than a double up. That was pretty nice. Um, the history of Benelia was, I think a lot of people looked at it from a spec perspective as, well, are we going to get knights in the next set? Forgetting that the real dimension you were supposed to be exploring it on was, are we going to get tokens? But as it turns out, it's not even just tokens. It's, it is in standard right now, so multi-dimensional that if you look at goldfish, MTG goldfish, and look at the decks that are using it, you, you have no less than five or six different archetypes in standard. Boros Aggro, Azorius Control, Boros Angels, Celestia Tokens, Abzan Knights, Bant Midrange, all playing the the card. And they're generally playing it as a three or a four of. Hmm. So that's a lot of uh if I had if that's a lot of traction. Yeah, that's a lot of traction. So if I had to pick uh a mythic that seemed like it was spread out across enough archetypes that it would be resistant to shifts in the meta that are very likely to occur in the next three to four weeks. I would say history of Benalia is it. And you want to, so if you've got a pile, you start selling into the hype cycle now. And as it keeps climbing, you decide, you know, what your greed limit is and and then secure your final exit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's certainly a great card. Uh, which has become very clear based on, like you said, the distribution of it in the various standard decks. <clears throat> I mean, you're paying, what is it, three mana for two two twos, right? So, I don't, yeah, I, I, whatever. It's it's a good card. It's clearly a good card. A lot of people want to play it uh, and follow up with it. I don't know if they're trying to alpha swing on six with their knights or whatever, but with Convoke coming back and March of the Multitudes obviously showing that it's a big deal, right? Like. Um, the the price spike on March of the Multitudes shows that people really think Invoke's going to be a big deal on tokens. So the cards there, I mean, frankly, if it's that widespread, if it's seen playing, you know, five different standard decks, um, which combine are combining to make a pretty healthy chunk of the metagame, then maybe 20 is a good buy. Let me take a look here. You can grab copies at 18 uh, right now, roughly. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not many of them. There's barely, I don't even know if there's a full play set. At 18 but maybe they're 35 dollars. i don't know i mean karn has definitely fallen by the wayside what else is in there teferi out of dominaria karn and teferi are your big, big or history and teferi would be your two big mythics karn's off the off the table completely which is going to open up an opportunity to pick up ch- cheap karns yes yeah yeah agreed right now no one really wants him but that's good for us right because you know Basically, look where others aren't. Uh, but as for history of Benalia, you might actually be able to justify paying 18 for these. But I guess it's one of those things where I would only do it if I kind of wanted a personal playset, and then I was like hedging that I could also possibly sell them if they go up. The deck that's most likely to sit tight with them is Boros Aggro, which looks mm-hmm. like a strong deck. But Boros Goblins is also a thing. And I think that the meta is going to figure out which of those two is better. Um, and that will have some impact because the Boros Goblins version doesn't run it. Um, but Azorius Control also runs it, just not in the main. They're usually running it as uh, out of the sideboard as a three of. Yeah, but that's the type of sideboard, like, you know, we tend to avoid si- or at least be a little more reluctant on sideboard cards. Uh, but that's the type of sideboard card that might be worth not caring that it's sideboard because essentially it's 
sort of it's not part of the main deck but it's like a locked in part of the 75 some sideboard cards float in and out others are much more solid they they fill a huge role uh they matter more um than other sideboard cards essentially and this could be one of those cards uh which is worth considering as well good to keep an eye this weekend to see if it shows up on hot lists um mm-hmm. at the very the first week of standard um, yeah, I would suspect I would suspect are. it will absolutely be on every hot list. Sure, I mean just as by virtue of being one of the top three Dominari cards, Card Kingdom, for instance, is offering seventeen credit on them. That's pretty good. A lot of buy list inflation these days, huh? Yeah, that's a probably a topic maybe for next week to go through some of the numbers. Um, yeah, looking at some sites like face to face and abu and card kingdom and, and have a little chat about what it's going to mean if you take the buy li- the the trade-in credit uh, in terms of where you're going to have to direct the that to get your best bang for your buck mm-hmm. which is a question i'm personally pondering but we'll save that for another episode uh following that uh card of your your one of your personal favorites here walking ballista ding ding non-foils 12 to 22 um although you have <laughs> standard what written down here yeah that's wrong that, that <laughs> so is, it may as well just put just put, just put everything everything yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we i called this two weeks ago as a follow-up to earlier call that cliff made i believe i believe on foils and that i had echoed maybe six months before that um <laughs> when i first made the call it was just hey this this card is likely to get buoyed from standard and modern play um, but the most recent call was the inventory is draining. It's near a tipping point. It's the third most played card in modern and practically every format wants it. Um, the one ca- piece of uh, cautionary tape that should be wrapped around this uh, scenario is that one of our listeners pointed out that uh, fresh art for this card popped up on Magic Online, which can sometimes be a signal that uh, there's a promo incoming in the next like six to 12 months. So it's entirely possible that Walking Ballista ends up as the GP promo next year, or maybe the Pro Tour promo, or maybe it's a States promo or something. Um, I think the most likely of all those options is GP promo, um, which would absolutely flood the market with foils. Um, And the art in question, which I've seen, is good. So it's not like people are going to reject that foil. And that will do GP. If it's a Pro Tour foil, it doesn't matter much. They're relatively short supply. Um, but GP promos are plentiful enough that they tend to submarine the, the, the card in question uh, for a good couple of years. Yeah, because if the card is desirable enough to be a GP promo for the most part, uh, it's desirable enough that a lot of people who need copies and are you know kind of interested in the foils are going to be aren't going to be super picky about what edition type of thing. Uh, so. So in, 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 in and, and point, that's a, that's a good promo you. choice, right? It's a yeah, good promo choice. It's, it's a few couple years old. Doesn't ha- doesn't have to get reprinted, but it's a card that's so multidimensional that almost no matter what format you play, you wouldn't be complaining about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has that same texture as like Mutavolt, which was last year's. Um, you know, something that if you play any tribal deck in any format at all, you're going to want this card. So um, I think the play here is I, I don't know exactly when the GP promo gets announced for the winter but i suspect it's a couple months off so i think you're you're looking to exit here probably before christmas just to be safe and on at least on at least the foil copies um and on the non-foil you know pack originals look for a buy list exit somewhere north of 20 aren't they um aren't they yearly now 
aren't GP promos for the whole year. Yeah, but I but I think that they I, I'm not sure when the announce I think they start in the winter, right? And I'm not sure when the announcement's made. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm I gonna, not that that impacts when it's made, but I just heard you say like the winter or whatever. I'm like, no, but like, wouldn't it run for an entire year? That's my point. Yeah, I mean, it's more about like when are we going to get the news drop okay. that will make no one no one buy a pack foil <laughs> because they know GP foils are incoming. Yeah. Um. Okay, so and you got to people were really happy about this too. Our my uh, the MTG Fast Finance Twitter timeline was filled with people this week thrilled about foil walking ballistas. All right, well, non-foil people saying they picked up their non-foils, um, and you know it didn't take very many people to mop up the remaining inventory because it, the card was already at a hard tipping point. And if you're looking for signals, folks, look for car a rotating. Uh, rare card <laughs> that's falling out of standard but doesn't have any inventory i mean that's the opposite of what you would expect right so that's a good a, a good time to go double check all your facts about the card in question and figure out what's going on and in in this case it's just the third most popular creature in the entirety of modern uh on a, on, on a side note i was uh, surprised to see how many people came out of the woodwork talking about you know all the car you know the the copies they bought, because it wasn't just the number of copies they purchased, but it was a number of people who were like, I bought some of these. And I'm like, damn, this many people listen to us. It was kind of was a bit <laughs> humbling slash terrifying. I'm like, geez. <laughs> yeah, you have to assume that any amount of like going from a tipping point to cl- to cleaned out in a major movement, always suspect a retrace if it's a card like any of the major casts or, or content creators we're talking about, especially if it's a YouTube channel <laughs> with a lot of reach, um, and be prepared for that rechase to take hold. We we see it very frequently, even though there there is a there might be strong building underlying demand for something like say with masterpiece inventions from Kaladesh when we first called them and made a bunch of noise about them, they started to spike, and then there was some retracing. But the retracing didn't even come close to the original spike. So that as inventory dried up again in another three to six months, then you saw another spike. And then people, you know, seg- segued over into expeditions, which had been lying fallow for quite some time. Those spiked hard. Then they retraced. Like there are cycles in play. Just just because, you know, MDG stocks or MDG price reports that something's up 100%, as we've said a million times, believe it when you see it um, and plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. The the content creator bump into retrace into second bump or you know recovery is reasonably well worn territory at this point. So I would expect to see walking ballista uh, pull back for sure. But I don't think um, barring reprints or anything that that will be the the end of it. I think it'll. Yeah, that's why like I'm not a huge fan of defending a spec. So say something has 50 copies, you buy them yourself. And then another 50 fill in within a week. And you're like, oh, uh, it's retracing. I'm going to buy those 52. <laughs> you are truly digging your own grave because you are, as as we alluded to earlier, you can just end up being the the one person market place mm-hmm. where the only reason the card's price ever fluctuates is because they keep going to your house. <laughs> you wait for somebody to list it too cheap, then you buy it and then wait till the next cheap one gets bought and you look like you're your own stock ticker. Well, you you end up in a situation where you're selling one a month, and it's going to take you 16 years to recoup your mm-hmm. investment. If if you're keeping your head above water 
and even that seems like probably a lost cause. I typically, I don't know about you, I've never really re- defended a spec. I tend to get all the ones that I want to on the way in, uh, and then that's it. You know, then I, I let other people do the dirty work for me. The only the only thing I do that's even close to that is if, say, I was the only guy on eBay with Russian foil Emmercool the Promised End, and I wanted to get one fifty on that. If I see a sub hundred dollar copy pop up, and I strongly believe I'm going to get that 150 sometime within the next year. It's not going to be a quick flip, but I know I'm going to get my my bones. I'll go ahead and buy the other one because you can start working to, towards a play set and, and you can snap off the random copy that popped up from the Ukraine that nobody wants to order because they're scared the guy's not going to ship it. Um, you know, go for it. And because in those cases, there's, there's a difference between defending a poorly thought out spec and being the only one paying attention to a relatively narrow set of data. Well, data those points. I would cons- I would and, consider those completely different point, uh, different intentions. Because if you're buying those Russian foil emeralds at a hundred piece, like right, you notice three of them, you're like, I think this is going to go up. You buy the three, then one pops up at eighty or ninety dollars. It's like you're not defending it. It's like shit. That's cheaper than what I was going to pay for it in the first place. Uh, of course, I'm going to buy it. And I've done that a couple of times. It's more, I, you know, I guess when I think about defending a spec, it's like I bought this card at $3. Uh, it jumped to eight, but, you know, and then a bunch got relisted and now I'm buying them at four and five, right? You know, the, the defending <laughs> yeah, exactly. is you're paying more than you paid in the first place yeah. to kind of try and recover. What you're describing is just slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, another example just in the last week, I sold a, my Russian foil walking ballista for 150 that I was in on at 50. So then I immediately made an offer to a guy in Europe for 300 for a playset. set. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's paying 50% more on the entry, but because I've already proven that I can sell it at the price that I want to get and a full playset set is that much more attractive and might be the only full playset set like that anywhere in the world that I've seen. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty attractive uh, route to take because you've already got, you know, proof of concept um, yes. that your spec will play out. That, yeah, that's a nice situation to find yourself in where you happen to be the first person to get whatever the new price for the card is or the correct price for the card. And you're like, oh, well, this is kind of awesome because now I real I just realized that this card is worth it and I can go check other channels to see if anyone's got them underpriced and scope those up. So that, I'll do that too. I, uh, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't come up all that often, but um, when it does, it's, it's always nice. You can get that across uh, international borders, I think, is the most likely place you're going to find that type of action, where you start selling them at some new price in America or Europe, and the other one's still lagging behind. And you're like, oh, well, I wasn't sure if I was going to get $75 for this card, but I did uh, for two of them. So I'm going to go clean up the other country. The other situation where that can come out come up is when you're at a San Diego Comic-Con Fan Expo type situation, where there are exclusives on the floor if you manage to snag some that are, you know are hot but aren't really your your bag that you don't feel the need to be keeping for your own collection, um, you can go ahead and like and you're there for the whole like three or four days or whatever. Get there day one, get there early, get some exclusives, throw them up on eBay, and don't be scared to be you know the lowest price if the margin's still sweet because if you can unload, you can just go back to the well. Mm-hmm. And we we've made like having tables at big conferences work to our advantage multiple times in the past where we got a lot more out of the table in terms of revenue just by like picking up a whole bunch of exclusives and flipping them online instead of on the floor. On the floor, nobody wants them because they can just walk over and buy it. But, you know, some dude in Iowa that doesn't have access to it is more than happy to take it off your hands. At Fan Expo this year, we picked up, you know, set, just kept 
anybody that offered us a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive magic set, we just snapped it off their hands for 20, 30, 40 more than they paid and then flipped them to Europe for double. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that really helped make that conference better for us. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, that's obviously hard for people to take advantage of because they're probably not on the floor of those types of events very often, but when you are, it can be quite lucrative. But the, the lesson there is sound where if you have something that you kind of want to sell, but you're not a hundred percent sure you can get whatever price for it, right? You're not clear that the demand is there. You can buy like one copy to test the waters and see if you can get rid of it. And then if they do go right back to the well and try and get rid of as as many as possible or or pick up as many as possible that you left kind of hanging and just hope nobody else gets, gets there first. Um, But since they're not trying to buy them, no one, you know, nobody else knows yet, you know, you're probably safe. Yeah, I mean, one of the the more common analogs then for, say, heading into this weekend, like the first big weekend of a new standard format in the fall, is you show up at your LGS on Saturday morning to play some standard and make sure you're watching SCG uh, or GP coverage uh, in between rounds and so forth. And if it becomes obvious that something is um, setting up to be a dominant deck in the format and maybe there's an underpriced rare or mythic that makes sense to be targeting you might be able to trade into some of those at the lgs before other people are really like up to speed snap whatever is sitting around in the showcase off their hands and away you go yes have uh have definitely tried to do that in the past too where you're just you're 20 or 30 minutes ahead of the knowledge ahead of everyone else and you're like oh i'm gonna try and grab these now it was easier before people just streamed on their phones (laughs) back in the day um but yeah it's also valid where you can find the opportunity I try not to walk like walk into an LGS with a full head of steam, like <laughs> barreling into a store with a bunch of money in your fist, uh, looking like you have a head full of purpose is probably not your best your best play. <laughs> <laughs> the the confused, befuddled, casual, hey, maybe I'll buy these for my deck is usually the better better avenue well that only works to raise eyebrows that only works until people know who you are i i i back when i was still binder grinding it got to the point where like if i wanted more than one copy of a card from somebody then they're like oh is this going up who's playing this i'm like nobody i want it for my damn edh deck and i have three of that and they're like oh no if you want it i don't know if i want to trade it i'm like oh my god forget it (laughs) and most of the time i wasn't even trying to like spec on them i really did just want the copies yeah all right, so a bunch of more standard cards we should get through here. Dream Eater made a move from Guilds of Ravnica. Keep in mind that the set is not officially out yet, so these prices are need to be taken with a grain of salt. We're about to see a f- onslaught of supply this weekend. Um, so even the best of these cards are going to be under some severe downward price pressure. But Dream Eater, which was one of Cliff's uh, notables from our discussion with Todd about the set, uh, moving from 350 to 7, uh, it's been showing up in Demir decks after all. I was pretty dubious that that was going to be the case. I still don't think that this, of the top 5 or 10 Mythics in the set, this is not uh, the one that I would be hanging my hat on here. So if you manage to pick up copies in the like 2 to 350 range and you have a chance to out them to buy lists and anywhere between 5 and 8, I think that you'd probably just slam that and keep moving. Yeah, uh, I looked at this one and was trying to decide if it was playable and i'm like eh, this is i'm not gonna say it's it's not playable but this feels like it's a lot harder for me to prove the use case for than most of the other cards in the set um i do think that if you can get a mythic that isn't just very very clearly 
not for standard, like Archangel's Light or whatever it was, like nine mana, gain two life for every card in your graveyard. Uh, if you can get new mythics that seem like there's a universe where they could be playable in standard at bulk mythic pricing or very close to it, which is like what $3 is, um, then it might be worth grabbing them at the very outside of standard because like, you don't know, like, so for Dream Eater, if you're getting them for 250 or $3, it's like these are dirt cheap. It can't really get too much cheaper. Uh, there's a chance that they break out and I cash in. And even if that doesn't come to fruition, I can probably get out for pretty close to what I paid for it. Um, you might have to take a small loss, but it gives you, you know, Bane bulk mythic pricing for a mythic basically at the day it hits the streets gives you a lot of runway before you have to decide to get, jump off. Yeah. Um, this next one is much more widely played card. Thran Dynamo versus Destiny original foils moving from 50 to 100 for a straight up double. Um, 35,000 decks on EDH Rex says it all. Uh, one of the most played cards in the format. Good in every deck that wants to ramp hard. Um, you know, on turn two or three, you're getting another three mana and play Lickety Split and get to use it right away. Um, it's seen a bunch of printings, but the original one is going to be special um, for quite some time. And... Yeah, I I don't think there's going to be much of a retrace on those. Thrim Dynamo is some good stuff, uh, and those Urza's Destiny's foils are going to be are going to be great, going to be real great. Um, I'm they were they were at fifty dollars, actually cheaper than I thought they were. It's an uncommon. Yeah, but how many car? How many EDH deck is thirty five thousand? That's and that's probably too few. Like my, I think thirty five thousand is not enough. More decks should be playing that card. Sure, and I mean, and you know, EDH Rec is not a snap perfect snapshot of the of <laughs> the people. It's you know at that level, uh, some kind of statistical signifier of percentage popularity um, as opposed to total copies in play. There might be a couple hundred thousand EDH decks that are actually running the card in North America. Right, 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 right. It's certainly not the the raw value. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. In any case. Uh, after that, we have March of the Multitudes, which is a new mythic from Guilds of Ravnica that would be, it's the Convoke Token Maker. So you turn a bunch of your dudes sideways to get even more dudes, dudes beget dudes. Um, <clears throat> prices from five and change up to 15. So a pretty big jump there. Uh, now, was this based on something specific? Did somebody write an article or was this just the hive mind realizing the card was pretty solid? Do you know? Streamers have been running the tokens deck all week. Mm-hmm. Lots of articles. Um, the the green the Celestia decks look real. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a hundred percent certain they're running four copies of this. But the um, in the the games I've watched on stream, the the card looked like it performed. The fact that the it's not just one ones you're dropping, but one ones with lifelink mm-hmm. really changes a lot of combat math. Um, and the scenarios where you, you got to go back to back with them like one bridging into the another the turn after were just backbreaking mm. there's just so much power and lifelink hitting the table all at once and then if they had a sweeper so be it but if they don't then they're in a lot yeah, of trouble and <clears throat> it, it was one of the mythics at five bucks that cliff and todd and i all flagged during the review as you know most likely to climb and boom yeah. here we are um for a du- easy double up, if not a triple up. And I don't think you, in that kind of scenario, don't wait around and see if it hits 30. Just go ahead and start getting out if you got in early. 
because you've already got your bones time to claim and move. Yeah, and you know what? If it hits 30, don't feel bad because you know that you made the right decision because you could have also held on hoping for more and then watched it fall to seven and then realize you basically couldn't get rid of them for a profit. And that's going to feel a lot worse. So I'm definitely on yeah. board with just taking your money and running. If History of Benali is across a bunch of different decks and it, it has that resistance to uh, meta shaping, that's a lot more of an incentive to hold on a little longer than something like March of the Multitudes that is very specific to the Celestia Tokens deck. And even though it's a four of three or a four of there, you need that deck to keep doing well to resist the downward price mm-hmm. pressure. Because a lot of stuff is very pricey right now in Guilds of Ravnica, which is not unusual for a hyped set. Um, but as with Dominaria, which was in a similar position last spring, you're going to see a lot of this stuff crash. The, the stuff that posts up in the most decks in multiple formats is going to be more resistant. But a lot of the other things, I think like Dream Eater, for instance, I don't think Dream Eater can hold as an occasional two of in some of the blue decks and only in standard. Um, you know, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. If you're like pushing one down, another one comes up. So... And if one goes up, another one goes down. So if, for instance, something like Doom Whisperer pops up over 30 and stays there because the black decks that are running it are running it as a four of and they're running a lot and did it the same the kind of thing happens with um, something else from the set or Assassin's Trophy holds at a high level, then the value's got to bleed somewhere. And the masterpieces aren't in the set. They're in the Mythic Editions. So that's not helping alleviate any of the price pressure. No, and I think Dominaria is a really good um, comparison point because Dominaria looked awesome um, during the pre-release running up to release. It looked like it was going to be chock full of amazing cards and the set was going to be a ton of value and people were really into it. Uh, And then it, it didn't flatline, but I mean, those numbers got real, right? There's Teferi. And yep. then there's history, and then there's a lot of other cards. And Karn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even Karn, Karn and then, what is he now? Is he like 12 bucks? No, no, no. Not is he not? I mean, I haven't really seen much of him. Granted, I'm not like... Uh, he, I, I don't think a single deck is running him because he can't really take advantage of the artifact synergies right now. He's just not well positioned in general, it seems, in this format. Okay. Um. So, Scion of Urza, TCG, Near Mint, Low, you're talking about like 25. Right? Okay. So, Mark. to me, then that says that his price is just not kept up with his demand, which is to say the price isn't falling as fast as Karn's utility is. Um, yeah. But the, the point being is that, you know, Guilds of Ravnica is in a similar spot where it looks really good right now. It's going to be real easy to get taken in and think that the set is going to be infinite dollars, but that just cannot happen with standard sets. So. Um, something's got to give somewhere yeah and the, the next card is related as well Pel, Pel collector was another one of the rares that we said ah this looks too cheap at like two or three and now it's they're talking about ten dollars for a rare in this set it, it's going to be real hard for it to hold 10 it has to show up as a constant four of in like three different archetypes if it's just one archetype like green stompy or the the tokens deck um that ends up running it and that ends up being like 20% of the meta, that's not going to be enough for this to hold 10. So if you can get out at five or six from like a hot list or something, and you got in at two or three on Pelt Collector, bravo, swap it. Move yeah. It. And it's, um, you know, this could be the tireless tracker of the set, but you don't know. That, that's actually a good comparison because tireless tracker still sees play mm-hmm. in modern and Pelt Collector looks like there are at least a couple of decks that are interested in fooling around with it on the basis that it's, People are joking that it's experiment two. Um, It's like experiment one, but you also get a trigger when a creature leaves play, right? So um, there have been a couple of different streamers that have already fooled around with the deck in modern. 
Um, by, by no means does it look like it's going to be like a tier one deck, uh, any of the shells that I've seen. But card could be good enough for modern, so that's worth yeah, considering. Yeah. Especially when you're talking yeah. foils, which also pop this week. Yep. So whether so that that that's all true, and I guess whether or not it's good enough in modern, it's still that's sort of beside the point. The point is, it could be a tireless tracker where it looks like it's going to be a really big deal, or you you just can't tell, right? Like it's very meta dependent on whether the card's going to get there. Nobody knows, and they won't know until they sit down and grind a bunch of games and then get a feel for it. So <clears throat> I guess. Uh, all goes to say that if you got your money during pre-release season, don't be greedy. Just get out of the way. Yeah. All right. Final card on the list. High market foils from Arcadian Masks uh, going from 35 to in theory 120. Um, I think this is more closer to 60 to 120. And I would call the 120 into question is probably going to end up closer to 100. So let's call this 60 to 100 realistically. 35 might have been somebody posted some cheap copies. Um that interfered with the the graph, but I know that I grabbed a full playset of these at thirty seven fifty a piece from Troll and Toad like six months ago, and um, it's been hard. You've been hard pressed to find them under fifty or sixty cents. Uh, however, this card is like suspiciously high on EDH Rec, like twenty thousand decks running the card. It's a lot of different uh, synergies that where you want to sack creatures and put them in your graveyard in that format, and this is the original pack foil. Um, of the card so arcadian mass foils you're going to get your money back if you invested in in ones that are played that broadly just got to hold on for a little bit yeah this card is awesome um no surprising that it's that popular in edh huge jump on uh the arcadian masks foils again i kind of have trouble believing they were that cheap to begin with uh maybe i'm just Maybe I'm just retconning this in my head to make it sound like I know better than I do, but I'm looking at that $35 for foil masks high market. And I'm like, really? That was it? Was there one? Was there one copy that got listed and then bought immediately? I don't know. Um, But in any case, uh, great card. If you have them, I mean, these are, they're not reserve list, but feels like they kind of are. I mean, the original foils essentially are. So you could probably hold these at what you could sell them at 120 and be happy to take it, but you could also hold it and hope for the better. Well, because the FTV Realms version is like dirt cheap by comparison, right? Using the same art, but the FTV treatment. Yeah, and the FTV treatment's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. My, but my point is that like you can see how much people value the original foils by comparing to ah. the From the Vault Realms version, which is less than $4. Right. With literally the same art. Yep. Remember... Yeah, pack. Sorry, go ahead. Just saying that pack foils hold that on an important card will hold a massive premium over further editions. Yeah. Especially when you get back into older stuff and old border foils. Absolutely. Cause I, I personally way value old border border foils over the new ones um, yeah. of anything that I and, get. And once inventory drains low enough on an old enough original pack foil, even if they reprinted this again in eternal masters two next year or something, it's not, it's not going to have, it's gonna be like a blip on the radar. Like what all that's going to happen there is that if, if that card, has good foiling and and good art. At some point, you use the ceiling of the original pack foil as kind of the max that the other one can achieve. Similar to what happened with Chrome Mox. Chrome Mox was extremely cheap for a period of time after Eternal Masters was released the second time in the fall of that year. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Like, I do think that the moder- the EMA copies of Chrome Mox are set to go up, especially the foils. But I also don't know who's buying Chrome Mox. Like, not yeah. clear where that demand is coming from. 
in a, in a ton of EDH decks, apparently. Uh, okay. Um, remember when we started and you're like, you think you said you think we can bang this out in under an hour? It has been 53 minutes and we're done. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's segment. go. We are in we can track do it. We can for do three it. hours. <laughs> let, me, let me do it super fast. All right. Segment necessary. two, cards to watch. <laughs> <laughs> segment two, cards to watch. Uh, my first pick this week is Scapeship Scape Shift Foils from M19. Um, I see a pretty steep curve forming on this card, um, and it only really enjoys relatively modest demand from Modern and EDH, but it just got reprinted. The cur- When I say a steep curve, I mean that in- if you look at the you know 20 listings or so on TCG, it goes from 20 to 30 in a hurry for the foils, which means when everybody doesn't agree that it should be 20 for the foils, somebody says, okay, it's 20, this guy says 22, this guy says 24, 26, 28. It means as they get bought up, that price is going to rise in a hurry. And then once it posts up over 30, nobody's still opening M19 enough to be resupplying the market with fresh foil uh, mythics, right? I think it's a mythic in M19. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So there's just, there's just no, like the total number of copies in North America that will be buy listed over the next six to 12 months is going to be very low indeed. Um, mythic foils once they dry up are very hard to resupply to the market I, I'm really surprised that the mythic foils of this are only 20 bucks that is very cheap compared to what I would expect um, well, I thought this was like $20 for non-foils jeez that is uh, well, that was point. before the reprint the, the thing is that like it's not a, a multi uh, archetype staple it is a multi format card but as i said relatively modest demand profile across and across the board and so people tend to overlook cards like this um and the thing is this art's great like this is this is your best version you like this one more than the fish yeah the the original art the um composition is not even close to the latest version so i think you're correct but i'm a hard disagree i think I think fish and trees is <laughs> compositionally it is bad, <laughs> but it is fun. <laughs> you think it's more visually interesting? I think you like the art better. You I like the art style the better. Con- the concept is more amusing. Okay, well, I mean, I'll give you that. But that's, I mean, I think the eye. I think the eye takes in. I don't know. It, it's a silly conversation arguing about which art you like is is never yeah talking benefits about art anybody. Sucks. The um, yeah, let's just let's just leave it at this. You're not you can't go wrong if you need scapeshift foils for anything at twenty dollars. It was a mythic. It's not going to see another reprint for years, and these are going to end up being thirty or forty dollars by the time you get it. Yeah, and I have looked at these a couple times in the past. Um, not the foils, though. I don't think, uh, and I just kind of chalked it up to being dead. But supply is, you know, it's not dead, but it is not high, and it's going to get lower. You're not going to see a lot of them enter the market. Those Shadowmore foils at uh, 180, it looks like, is a low on TCG player right now. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, morning, morning tide. What did yeah. I say? Escape shift? No, Shadowmore. Okay, Shadowmore. Yeah, morning tide. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people probably wanted foils of this. It couldn't get them. Now there's the opportunity, uh, but it will not last. So I'm on board. I mean, when when the original pack foil is literally nine times. Yeah. <laughs> the price of your new mythic foil option that came from a summer set you're probably in pretty good shape to go ahead and snap yeah, those up completely agree um okay my first card of the week hmm? and and 
And conveniently, there are just enough copies lying around for a tipping point to be engaged by someone who feels <laughs> enterprising. Okay. Uh, my first card of the week, Soren Grim Nemesis Foils. The, this is the Planewalker, the kind of fat one from Battle for Zendikar. Um, looking at, you know, kind of a mid-ish, mid, probably long, yeah, maybe even short to mid time frame on this guy. Um, he's a six amount of version, but he's quite powerful. Uh, he's in about six and a half thousand EDH decks right now. Uh, you know, that's kind of moving up. Supply is quite low. And what's interesting here, like as you referenced with Scapeshift, is the the ramp is very steep. So I think there's a co- like one copy at 13, maybe. Then there's like four at like 15 and 16, and then you're at 20. So even though the supply the, the supply is like I think like 25 to 35 copies, but the ramp on the first seven is from like thirteen dollars to thirty essentially, um, so which means that there only needs you don't even have to TCG player does not have to empty for you to make money here. Uh, really, only about two playsets worth have to get bought. Uh, it is, as far as I can tell, the most popular black white Soren in EDH. Um, he's part of Edgar Markov, uh, which has been a top performing EDH deck for basically since he came out. It's not number one, but he's been up there for quite a while. Uh, so in general, you just got a foil original printing foil planeswalker that's popular in edh a start uh, a steep price in, uh, incline on tcg player so you know i don't know if you're going to see it before the end of the year um, but i would be very surprised if by the end of 2019 you couldn't sell these for about 35 yeah i picked up some of these in the spring um on the same premise i think it was one of my picks maybe six months ago um and it seems like i i was a little early but the uh the tipping point was flagged you know, a ways back down the road. The fact that there are still copies available in this range suggests that the overall demand profile is relatively modest. Um, but planeswalkers very rarely see reprints unless they have a, like a strategic reason, like that they're important in a specific format. And EDH doesn't really get planeswalker reprints at all. Um, they much prefer in in supplementary products and uh, you know master style sets to give us like new versions of things well other than master sets and in the master sets they haven't made a big like made a point of making the reprint mythics uh planeswalkers anytime soon uh anytime lately um so yeah soren seems fine very powerful card in plenty of edh decks i'm on board yeah that's actually an interesting point i wonder um be curious to see some stats on the reprint frequency of various cards and card types because it does seem like planeswalkers are very uh <clears throat> printed very infrequently relative to to other cards um especially in foil like i wizards seem they reprint them, to look but it feels like they do the same ones over and over right like it seems like wizards- once it's gotten reprinted they'll do they'll do several printings of it i think they look at they very much look at planeswalkers as like marketing drivers they hang set themes and narratives on the backs of the planeswalkers and use them as the face of the game and so they and because they kind of fill that central role in a lot of marketing material they tend to be very specific to what's going on now like the the current goals of the brand and the current things that storylines and so forth they're trying to advance and so going back to the well you, you tend to only see it happen on cards that are necessary in specific formats so like we saw liliana the veil get reprinted um in a master set we saw it show up as a pro tour promo because the card needed inventory in the format in modern um uh, and you will it will be situations like that where you see cards show up again. Same reason we got Jason the Mind Sculptor a few different times. 
Um, but you don't you don't see like Sarkin the like what's the teamer Sarkin from uh, Dragon Dragons of Tarkir? Is that what it was? Sarkin Dragon Speaker. Whatever that one is, like trust me, you won't see that card for ages and ages and ages if ever. Yeah, I agree. Hey, there's eight as time goes on. There's just too many. Like the list is really deep, and the backlog of reprints. What one of the things that is relevant for people to understand that doesn't get talked about a lot is as the game gets deeper and deeper and deeper, like thousands and thousands more cards, the odds of any given random reprint you were hoping for getting tagged gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is a lot of <clears throat> planeswalkers now. There's a lot. It's like a hundred and yep. or eighty. I don't know. It's a lot. There used to not be that many, and we had you know you could kind of conceive of planeswalkers as this singular economic entity like well this is what we're used to planeswalkers doing this is how they behave uh they all follow a pattern and it kind of worked until there were like 40 of them and you're like uh this is kind of starting to break my models and then there was like you know 70 and you're like forget it you just have to evaluate this on an individual basis because they uh, there's too many they all behave differently now yeah while we were talking, I just snapped off my $30 eBay box coupon against four escape shifts. So yeah. just got picked those up for $12.50 a piece in foil. That's pretty solid. That's not bad. <laughs> All right. So moving right along to my next pick. Uh, this will be a little bit of a shocker. What is a band blue foil instant that is a good pickup from a recent set? Uh, well, I have the name of it in front of me. So I know. <laughs> So pretend to be stunned when I tell you that dig through time foils are starting to look interesting. Um, Bands in every competitive format where it's worthwhile to discuss, but in Commander, it's in 17,000 decks on EDH rec. And it's a fantastic tutor wherever you can play it. Um, uh, Card draw spell, uh, you know, without equal in many regards. So $6 for foils, very low supply given that this is a band card that sees almost no play i think getting in at five or six or seven dollars and getting out north of 15 sometime in the next couple of years is probably a rock solid place to be you don't need to go super deep on this one because you know the it's probably a slow steady crawl you know you're selling one one or two of these to edh players at a time um and they're not big money transactions but there's very little reason for them to reprint this anywhere because you can't play it except in EDH. So if it gets a reprint, I would expect it to be non-foil in a fall commander set. And that could make the foils pricey indeed. Yeah, and I think that's going to come up time and time again as we talk about these cards, whether it's Soren or uh, Dig Through Time or one of my other picks this week. Um, and you know, many of our picks over the past is that like, yeah, there's a reprint possibility, but if we're talking foils, it doesn't matter because the reprints are probably coming through EDH products which until they start printing foils uh, in there is really good for you um, because it just makes it that much harder to get the foils out in the market. And if they're printing them in non-foil through EDH, they're not really in a rush to print the foil copies anywhere. So all that combines to mean these types of things are um, these types of foil cards like this are, are in great shape. And you almost want something when you know when we're looking for cards to pick and, and keeping our eyes out, you almost want something that bags reprint in an EDH product so that it won't get foiled. You're like, oh, this is gonna be great. Yeah. If they print this here, it means it's way less likely to show up in like another whatever standard set or foil product, which means my foils are safe. I, I would argue I 
probably 40% of my portfolio right now in magic cards meets those criteria. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the sweet spot mm-hmm. right now. Um, you know, everything from masterpieces to, you know, random foil Eldrazi to foil Japanese battle bond stuff. Um, it's all about EDH cards that are hard to come by and that people don't bother to buy until it's too late. Yep. I am in the same boat. A lot of my picks fall into that uh, bucket. <clears throat> uh, all right. So good pick. I like it. I like, uh, I like foil takes three times. I think you're going to do well with them. Uh, my second pick this week is a little less sexy, but I think it's probably pretty solid. Uh, Whip of Erebus, uh, particularly the non-foil. So uh, maybe eating the reprint risk a little bit more here. Um, they're about $2 right now. Uh, for non-foil Whip of Erebus, uh, it's in fifteen thousand EDH decks at the moment, and I see this as essentially another Dictate of Erebus. So Dictate of Erebus was the flash enchantment uh, that had um, oh, what is it? Grave Pact. It was Flash Grave Pact for five mana that started out at like fifty cents, seventy-five cents, and then slowly picked up towards uh, the current price of eight dollars. Um, and Whip of Erebus has been doing that just a little bit more slowly. It's not quite as popular, but definitely there's some demand there. Uh, and short of a reprint, I think you're in pretty good shape here to see this climb uh, up towards about $8, um, just based on the demand that it's quite popular in EDH. It's very effective, very powerful. It gives your creatures lifelink, which is a huge deal, and also reanimates creatures, so those are both great. Uh just, it seems like one of those cards that without a reprint is just going to keep going and going and going. The price graph on this is exactly what I want to see. Uh, so I think the outlook is good. Yeah, I think this one really depends on how long it goes without reprint. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind that there is demand out there for this card. But one of the problems with going after a $2 EDH card is that if it doubles up and hits four minus fees, etc., you're getting 350 and you don't get to sell them as a playset because they're getting sold to EDH players. So you probably want to look at foils before you look at non-foils. You have to consider that there is a promo floating around, although I don't think that art is as good. Um, and there's a lot less of the pack foils than there are the uh, regular versions. The other thing is that the curve on it's really flat. So there's like 100 listings on TCG Player, and almost everybody agrees it's a $2 card. And then after a while, it kind of creeps up in $2.53. Um, so you could be holding for quite some time waiting for buy lists, waiting for the market to drain a tipping point to be achieved and for buy list to catch up to where you want it to be. Well, you just do not like this pick, do you? <laughs> I think the pick's solid. I think that, you know, those are the conditions <laughs> around which you want uh, to get in. It's the kind of thing where like, because the, the curve is so flat, the, the ladder allows you to wait for the, like a really sweet eBay coupon or something and then toss 12 or 16 copies in your cart and get them for a buck fifty or something, and then stash them away for when you're going to be sending in a buy list. Because the the selling onesie twosie on the non foils just feels to me like you're going to be waiting a long time to get your out. Oh uh, yeah, I, I mean I don't disagree. It's the the intention was you know I remember Jason writing about dictative Arabos and he's like I just bought a five hundred counter one k box worth at you know fifty cents or seventy five cents and then just shoved them in there and put it in his closet and forgot about it. And then he opened his closet a few years later and they were more. And then I don't know what he ended up doing with them, nor if he actually had that many. But the concept here is relatively the same. Like it's not going to, you know, this isn't like Soren where there's six copies left before you see a $15 increase. It's, um, you know, without a reprint, again, big asterisk, trying to make that clear. 
your price curve is headed in the right direction and you can be guaranteed it's going to keep moving. So you basically just take whatever you have and you just shove them in the back of your closet and then hope that one day you're pleasantly surprised with the price change. Um, I know that we focus a lot on stuff that we like to see move quickly, but sometimes those slow burners are also pretty nice to have stashed away. Uh, so I just thought this was, you know, a good choice for that type of run. Yeah, I also I also wouldn't put this anywhere near the top of the priority list for reprint. Like they could easily decide to reprint the cycle of god weapons if they put the the gods into a master set, which could happen. I think the Theros gods like fill a nice sweet spot in a master set at some point because at least a few of them are relevant for EDH play and they're of middling uh, price points. I, I would think about it like the way that in I think it was Iconic Masters, they threw the Kamigawa dragons in there. The Theros gods feel like a similar role when you're planning this set's uh, EV out. Um, I'm also glad that you mentioned Dictative Erebos because I'm pretty sure I have a stack of those somewhere and I did not realize that buy lists were in the 4 to $6 range now. Yeah, well, there you go. My actual pick was Stealth telling James about his cards that were worth money that he didn't know he had or didn't know it. <laughs> I dictative Erebos. I mean, that's a three-year hold. It's not super exciting, but going from fifty cents to four or five bucks—that's not bad. Whip yeah. of Erebos. You know, I feel like the non-foils eight dollars is is ambitious, but if buy lists get into the five to six dollar range, you're still doing just fine. Well, yeah, I'm talking eight dollars retail, so that you know you're expecting four to five buy lists with sure. those trading credits. So, geez, by the time uh, they'll be up to two or three hundred percent buy list credit. <laughs> Talk about talk about that whole situation next week. Yeah. The uh, all right. So my final pick this week is Recruiter of the Guard foils. Um, already very pricey, but there are very few lying around. Um, this is a Conspiracy Two uh, rare, I believe, not a Mythic. Um, but if you can snap them off at ninety, I think you could just say conservatively that you're going to get out somewhere closer to one twenty percentage wise. That's not a big deal. But if you picked up a playset um, and used a coupon or something sometime soon. You might be able to get in on them at like, say, 80 or something like that. So you'd be in at 320 and look to exit closer to 400 or 450. And that would be a, a neat little play that you might be able to p- pull off in, say, six months or so. Sure. This is a type of card that uh, is going to be pretty solid in terms of pricing. There's just so few copies um, and so few places for Wizards to reprint it or reason for them to want to reprint it. Um, and again, if they do, it's probably going with an EDH set. So you're probably not getting bit by the foils. Uh, so I definitely like it from that perspective. Um, volume's probably going to be on the lower side, but you know, it's not like you're buying 12, 15, 30 of these at 90 bucks a piece, unless you're, you should be doing your own podcast. Uh, so, you know, one or two, you're probably in good shape. Yeah, the, the non-foils are, could end up in the $30 range, which actually, which actually makes it problematic for them to print it in a Commander product. I think it's more likely it shows up in an Eternal Masters 2 style set mm-hmm. uh, where it's a good fit because it sees play in EDH and in Legacy. So it's a nice crossover pick for a set like that and would fill one of their slots for like three or like slots three through six or something in terms of price going into the set release, which then collapses under the weight of the product flowing through the market and then opens up an opportunity to pick up the foils again. Yes, I totally agree. I think this is definitely a, uh, a good EMA target type target. 
Okay. So we're skipping metagame week in review this week, and we're just going to do a little bit about the uh, Mythic Edition uh, <laughs> kerfuffle this morning. <laughs> we're recording this on Wednesday, October 3rd, um, and this morning was the release morning for Mythic Edition. Uh, so should probably do a little background on that for people that might not 100% be in the know, although if you're listening to this cast, you're probably up to speed. Um, so this time around, of course, the masterpieces are not being released in packs for Guilds of Ravnica. Mythic Edition is a special set, 24 booster packs, eight of which are guaranteed to hold the full contingent of eight uh, masterpiece planeswalkers, including such notables as uh, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, Liliana, the Last Hope, uh, Teferi, uh, sorry, not Teferi, um, Tezzeret, um, and Nicol Bolas. Um, the price point was set at $250 US, which basically means you're getting the Planeswalkers for about $25 a piece. Um, and then a few weeks after that was announced and everybody was all up in arms because they were only going to be distributed A, on Hasbro Toy Shop, and B, only in North America. Um, it was revealed that Channel Fireball had talked their way into uh, securing some significant portion of the allotment. My guess would be somewhere between... 30 and 60% of the total that were printed, uh, which I had pegged somewhere between five and 10,000 sets. And I would still say that all signals point to that being about right. Um, and so the channel fireball, uh, events were pre-order based. You could, you had the last couple of weeks, you could have ordered online. Only one of the Japanese ones ever showed up as sold out. And then it came back online. And then the other Japanese one showed sold out. And then it came back with some inventory so it didn't look like people were too excited, and then this morning hit. And boy, did it hit! Uh, you know, I, I had I was keeping an eye on it up to noon. I remember messaging James. I was like, "Okay, you know what? What time are these going on sale?" Because I don't remember seeing a message, and you told me it was noon. And I actually pushed some meetings and stuff back till after one o'clock because I wanted to make sure I was around for noon. And noon hits, and the product was on. The Hasbro site, like 11.30, actually, it was really, it was like quarter after 11, 11 o'clock when I found it on the Hasbro site, just out of stock. Uh, and then noon came around and the tweets started coming in. Why isn't this for sale yet? This is supposed to go up. So, you know, I wasn't expecting it to tick over at noon. This is Hasbro we're talking about. But then it was like 12.15, 12.20, and it's still not for sale. And Twitter is at this point is starting to get full of people getting very angry. At one point, Saffron tweeted that it was out of stock already because I guess he didn't realize that it had been posted, initially posted out of stock, which I'm sure got people into a bit of a frenzy. Evan Irwin was also uh, vocal. And uh, here's, here's, here's how you knew this was going to go great. Out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. Wizards tweets were having problems with the website. It'll be up shortly. So everyone's like, okay, we're getting ready. Out of stock. I have my page auto-refreshing every six seconds. Out of stock, out of stock. Then a little message pops up. Available 10-4 tomorrow. Available tomorrow. Which was yeah. not there at the start of the day. I'm positive. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I saw Wizard too. says that it's going to be up in a couple minutes. It's now been like half an hour. It's still not available. Now that's telling me that it's not going to be good available till tomorrow. Fine, whatever. I'm going to go grab lunch. I get up and walk away from my computer, as I'm sure a ton of people do, right? Like if you were like holding on to try and get this, this was your cue when you saw that message pop up. Like, okay, I guess it's just not going to happen today. And people started tweeting very annoyed, like, what the hell? Like I made a point of being available today 
to do this. And now it's not available. And you're telling me tomorrow. And I went and I uh, heated it. I made, a, I think, a cup of espresso. Came back and sat down at my desk and saw like one tweet that said it was for sale now. And I'm like, what? So I refreshed the page and lo and behold, it's in stock. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. They updated the page to say it wasn't going to be for sale until tomorrow. And then 10 minutes later, made it for sale today. How many people gave up and got in their car, went to class or did whatever it was they were going to do because it was no longer available? Oh, my God. I can't imagine. Yeah how pissed people are when i saw that notice hit the page the web developer in me went (laughs) they're gonna regret putting that on that page because i know i i've spent too many moments like this on that site trying to secure the san diego comic-con sets over the years and various toy exclusives and as soon as i saw it i was like nope they didn't mean to do that i guarantee this thing's gonna go live shortly and so Five minutes later or something, my I refresh the page, the button's there. And one of the, the tricks I use is have the cart open and have the checkout page already open. So instead of having to like click through from the pages, once you've added to cart, you can just switch page and reload, um, which tends to work a little faster. So got through to the whole, the end of the checkout process, logged into PayPal, no problem, paid and got this crazy, weird PayPal error. Mm -hmm. And it looked to me like there was a third party tech stack involved because I was seeing all sorts of non Hasbro toy shop URLs flash up top. It looked like data was flowing out to get verified somewhere and then and trying to confirm the order back. It could be the kind of thing I mentioned to you earlier about um, trying to detect whether the same IP address is being used for multiple orders, or it could have been some third-party payment processor that they're using that's new versus the last time I was on the site. No idea. But the bottom line was tons of us got a really weird error where it was just like printed in black ink against a white background, and you were just totally stalled out. At another point in the process, it seemed to say that I had I, I had gone through the PayPal loop, come back, and I was on an order screen that had all the order details and an order number, But then there was a green order button at the bottom. But if you hovered on it, it didn't give you a URL. So it wasn't signifying that it could go anywhere. And there was a back button that did have a URL. So then you click on the order now button and you're just like, you're just mashing that. And God knows how that messes things up because of how the the thing is structured. And then I, I immediately got the sense that my order was not confirmed. So I checked PayPal, the Funds had been withdrawn, but it seemed like it was on a hold, not a final payment. So I went back, checked the order listing, my order history on Hasbro, and it was empty. So I said, oh, no, 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 no. Got to go back to the first page, add it to the, go to the checkout again, do the PayPal loop again. And sure enough, by the time I had gotten through that process, PayPal had refunded the original payment and it had just disappeared out of my PayPal completely. No explanation. So went ahead through the whole thing, got it back into the same mode again. This time got an email from Hasbro that seemed to confirm the order and said that I would be notified again once it shipped, which is a step that a lot of other people on Twitter don't seem to have gotten to. <laughs> and I feel like there are hundreds to thousands of people that are are going to get hung out to dry here. Uh, and I would count myself among them. I had similar experiences with it being a complete mess. Um, you know, basically the same thing you had. And I got to the point where I 
click pay because I was using credit card, click pay, saw a page that said my payment was accepted, but it was, it was quick, right? It wasn't like a solid page that you just sat on. It was like a flash briefly and then it kind of rotated around um, <clears throat> and then came to an error page. And, uh, you know, kind of the same thing. I'm like, okay, well, did it go through? Did it not go through? Like, I'm uh, not really clear what happened here. Uh, tr- kept refreshing the order history on the on my account, but it wasn't updating. It didn't show it, but I don't know if it's going to show it, right? Like, maybe the order isn't really going to show up on here until they kind of get their stuff in order. Because remember, we're telling these stories about, like, how this went for us, but this is taking the course of an hour. Like, Every time you hit a button, it's taking minutes and minutes for the page to do anything. So it, you're, there's no confidence whatsoever in anything that's occurring. So you don't know like, well, I would expect under normal conditions for the account history to update immediately, but maybe it's broken as hell and it won't update until later. Uh, so at the end, I placed uh, four different orders um, through the website. Uh, one through my account and three guests uh, for several different addresses, or maybe it was three, three or four. Um, I did not get any emails. Uh, I know at least one payment was refunded. So, but I do not know what is going on at this point with any of my orders whatsoever. So, I might have ordered six. I might have ordered zero. Who knows? Yeah, and so the funny thing about that was. This, this whole process sets off the stampede because people start freaking out on Twitter and messaging wizards and saying, fix this, fix this, how dare you, blah, 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 blah. And you have to start wondering whether the, you know, single digit million dollars they're getting from this um, is going to justify the, you know, yet another incident of bad PR <laughs> being smeared all over the brand from some of their like highest paying customers because the kind of people that are willing to fork over $500 for this set are vendors, speculators, very committed individuals that play a lot of magic or have been around for quite some time. It's not your, you know, kitchen table magic crowd that's spending this kind of money. So, well, you know, people people were complaining about the distribution method and they have been proven correct. And then they said, you know, you know, we're sold out. Uh, turn your attention to Channel Fireball, who is still ordering sets for pickup in the, in the GPs in the US, which keep in mind, up to this point, had not been under any significant price pressure. I mean, sales pressure. And now all of a sudden, Denver, New Jersey, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Portland all sold out, which is, in fact, all of the mm-hmm. US GPs. So there is now no further opportunity in the United States of America to purchase this product as things stand tonight while we're which recording. Is, which is unreal. And I, you know, at the time, um, I wasn't sure how many to order, um, you know, at, at close to $300 a pop. Uh, I don't know how many I want to get, right? Uh, San Diego Comic-Con sets have varied in their value in terms of whether you wanted to own them or not. Uh, I didn't know if that was going to be the case with this one. Uh, They're going a different distribution method than all of the other promos they've gone with. So maybe they printed more of them. I don't know. Uh, So I... The point being, I wasn't sure how many to go in on. um, And I kind of hedged the unreliability of the website into my ordering. So at this point in time, were I to receive every copy that I have attempted to pay for, it would be 12 of them. But as I told you on Twitter earlier, like I highly suspect that several of them will not go through. Like 
I will be surprised if I end up with half of that at this point, um, especially since I didn't get emails. I don't think on any of my orders today. So I don't know if I actually got any through the website, which means I'm down to the people that I got to pick them up at GBs for me. Um, and I, and I, and it doesn't, and it does so, not seem like the distribution was as big as we kind of, th- I is, I was a little concerned there was going to be too many, there was going to be more copies on the market. And I was like, I guess I'm just going to go forward with this and hope I don't get burned. Uh, but it's looking, given that the Hasbro p- p- site sold out in a, out in about an hour and how slow the website was running in normal time, it actually sold out in like probably five to 10 minutes. So I do think the supply was quite low relative, you know, com- relative, relatively compared to what it normally is. It was also about that, you know, with the San Diego Comic-Con sets. Channel Fireball has a good chunk of them, but we're seeing a bunch of the GP sell out. And I bet you they do not have a copy enough copies of each GP for the player cap of that GP. So uh, overall, I do think the supply run is pretty low. Uh, and if you manage to get any, it's, it's good news for you. Part of it, part of the question here is, you know, how many sets were there actually? How many? What percentage was was sold this morning on Wizards, and how much of it is going through Channel Fireball? Um, is Channel Fireball actually sold out in the U.S., or are they, you know, playing a little bit of smoke and mirrors to drive hype? Because the thing is, like, it's real easy for them just to make the decision to say, you know what, put the word "sorry" sold out there. We're only about like we we definitely got some like sales pressure this morning, like several hundred orders process, maybe a couple thousand, but maybe they actually aren't. Maybe they're only half sold through, and they're gonna, you know put a little trickle up on here as, as, as things unfold, which is, you know, an accusation without basis at all. Like the, there's n- no reason to be pointing that finger at channel fireball per se, but I wouldn't take anything at face value value here in a situation where driving hype is going to benefit the people that are holding the product. Um, there, there are some very interesting things now though, that we know that we didn't know even 24 hours ago. If you accept that that North America is sold out, then you should be much more interested in trying to secure additional copies, um, because the reality is that you're getting the Planeswalkers essentially at twenty five dollars a pop, right? It's basically two hundred fifty dollars plus a little extra. You can attribute most of the amount over two hundred to the packs that you're getting. You're getting twenty four packs of Gills of Ravnica, so if you were going to buy a booster box anyway. <laughs> you can distribute that value over over the course of that, and you is might get lucky and get some foil mythics out of that. You oh, could get a I fo- thought for some reason yeah, just thought it was eight packs. That you would seed into the rest of your draft. Nope. No, it's super weird. You get 24 packs, enough for a draft, and eight of them are black, have a black exterior, so you know which ones have the Planeswalkers in it. So the idea is you pop the black ones first, and somebody goes, yay, I got Elspeth, I got Teferi, and somebody else goes, boo, I got Duretti, and then you I knew that they were in packs so that you could draft with them, but I I never actually read any of the details because, frankly, it did not matter. Yeah, and I, I also don't think it's going to be particularly necessary to keep these sealed. Like, if you're out is to, like, sell these on into Europe or whatever after the fact, then maybe you keep them sealed. But there's probably no harm in just going ahead and splitting your packs and selling the singles. Because I the way I figure this this plays out is that Liliana the Last Hope and Teferi Hero of Dominaria, now that we, if you assume that US is now sold out, they are going to get up over 150 whether that happens right off the bat or it happens 12 months down the road, I can't tell you for sure. Whether it's going to spike really hard, then retrace pretty hard, and then rise slowly over time would be the, the normal expectation for masterpieces. Um, but that's 300 in value right there. So as long as you manage to sell off your Teferi and your Liliana, you're probably doing just fine. And then you can decide how many of the other ones you want to keep for yourself. I think the one of the more undervalued ones, one of the ones that I already bought 
uh, uh, singles of on pre-order from a Quebec dealer who has access to the first GP, which is in Montreal this weekend, was four copies of Elspeth Knight Errant, because I think it's actually the best art of the entire set. And because it's got Elspeth in the underworld and Theros with the mask. So the like her post death experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Ral is it Vis- Visroy, Vraska Golgari Queen, probably not going to be that popular. Nicol Bolas, there's been a lot of versions of, and I'm not a huge fan of the art here, but there will be people that want it. Duretti, <laughs> modest demand. Um, Tezzeret, Asian of Bolas will probably hold a pretty decent price tag. So I would say like the tier one, I'm sure you agree, is Liliana and Teferi. Tier two, I'm claiming, is Elspeth and, and uh, Tezzeret. And then everything else is probably going to be sub 25 for a while. It could be. I, the, I guess the question still remains, how many did they actually make, right? Because um, that will determine if it stays low. But Well, and how many of these are going to disappear into collections? Like my dad secured two this morning, or at least he thinks he does. <laughs> well... I haven't actually got the exact details to see if he really got the confirmation or not. Um, but if he got to, trust me, his are just going into a closet. And yeah. if, if there's a few thousand dudes like that, that only buy, you know, one or two sets and they just disappear off the market, never to return, that has a significant impact. I think it's pretty clear that, you know, this stuff in the US, the five selling out in the US, a lot of that was probably driven by vendors who know they're going to be on site anyway saw the hype cycle spinning up and thought, hey, well, you know, we were holding off to see how this played out. But now that Hasbro Toy Shop sold out, not very much risk here. May as well go ahead and snap these off. I was talking to the guys at Face to Face here in Toronto. They got six or eight sets ordered from Montreal. I would imagine that most of the mid to large size vendors are going to be in a similar kind of situation where they're taking on anywhere from, say, four to maybe up to 20 sets for the bigger places. I'm sure Star City and... and, uh, you know, the, the stores of that size might be taking on 20, 30, 40, 50 sets. Yeah, I I, I, I think a lot of the real large vendors are probably trying to get in on it. Um, face-to-face, Channel Fireball, Troll and Told, all those types of guys. The bigger names, you know, I don't. I would guess most local stores can't get many. Um, you know, just on anecdotal evidence, most of our local shops would probably have trouble floating. You know, they might be able to get two sets, but, you know, they're going to have trouble floating thousands of dollars for multiple sets unless they already line up the buyers through local pre-orders, which could happen. Um, I also think that you'll probably see somewhere between five and 25% of these uh, just disappear. You know, people who pick up a set and just stash it in the same way they do with the San Diego Comic-Con ones. Um, you know, it's cool. They feel like they're, they're bulletproof value. They're like, oh, these always go up so I can keep them and play with them and have them. And, you know, if I ever get around the selling my collection, I'm confident that they'll still be as much or more um i do really wonder what the the sales outlook is going to look like internationally um and it's funny because i'm looking at looking at it i'm like all right so i think i ordered like 12 and i might be able to go check some of the other gps maybe i can get some friends to pick up some more copies and i'm like if i ended up with like 15 or 20 of these i'm like am i supposed to fly to europe or asia and sell them like, like, I mean, you know, if I can sell them, you know, give it. So you had asked me earlier what my out plan was. So my plan is for any, any number of copies I get. And at this point, who knows how many that's going to be. I may end up with, um, my plan is probably to wait, you know, just put them in the closet and wait at least a month or two, then come back and kind of check the prices. Did, you know, because that, when that initial allotment arrives in like whatever the seven to 10 business days, people are going to be, a lot of people are going to be running to sell them. There's going to be a lot of people who can't really afford to sit on $550 worth of product, um, and not touch it. 
um, you know, it's kind of a chunk for some people. So they're going to be just trying to recoup their costs and make 50 or 100 bucks. So there'll be a pretty good glut within the first two to three weeks that these land. But then that initial group will dry up. And then you'll see people like myself who aren't in a rush to sell them, maybe dip their toe in the waters. And there'll be kind of a steady trickle of copies in and out of the market for a little while. So my plan is to wait one to three months, kind of assess where we are and then see like, should I split them? Should I sell them sealed? What do I want to do? Uh, But what I really wonder about is like, man, if you go out six months, a year, when it's really gotten drained, uh, and no one in foreign countries was really able to get any now, and then you give it time for like the GP circuit to do another rotation, another year international events where the vendors are, you know, you talk about, let's say Channel Fireball holds on to like 100, right? They keep 100 stashed to sell at the various GPs over the next year. Um, or put on the prize wall or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, right, right. Give that a year to kind of run through the America and the rest of the world and let those get picked off uh, by a couple guys in Japan and, and Germany and France and what have you. Um, then what? Right? Then the supply is really settled. And now, well, what's that price going to look like? Maybe they're 500 in America, but maybe they're 800 in Japan, right? Because like, there's not really a good way to get them there. And they've kind of already all sold. It's like, damn, do I just put these in a carry on and fly over there and like, leave them, like, leave them with somebody there that I trust who will then sell them for me locally. I I almost could have justified that with San Diego Comic Con sets and would have considered doing it if I didn't just instantly sell them through to the UK and get pounds sterling on them for like, for like a double up. How did you get them to the UK? I just shipped them. And how many of them were I was there? I was doubling up. So shipping at like 20 or 30 bucks a pop was no big deal. And in a couple of cases, I sent one guy bought three. And in another case, I sent an extra to, a, to one of my partners just so it was sitting there waiting to sell to somebody else at some point in the next few months um, to like save on shipping. But it was like, it was honestly a no brainer. And the thing here is that there's only 13 GPs total where this product is being distributed. Five of them are now claiming to be sold out. Now, keep in mind, the two in Japan were earlier listed as sold out and now are not. So probably what that means is that there was a bunch of duplicate orders, or it could mean that Channel Fireball is being disingenuous, or it could be mean that they've been reallocating inventory. They might have originally started this saying each of the 13 gets 300 units or 400 units or 500 units, and we'll see how things go. Then if one of them sells out, maybe you give that one some extra. So like maybe the Japanese ones did sell out of their initial allotment and they've reassigned some of the allotment from, say, Milwaukee to, um, you know, Melbourne or Shizuku. And, you know, as a result, you know, that's that's normal stuff. That's things they should be doing. They, they don't have to they don't need to make any promises, promises that each GP has the same allotment. That's for sure. No. And- but you only got eight left. Two of them are in Canada. So internet outside of and the first one's in Montreal, right? Literally like this weekend, like in two days and Montreal, a lot of that inventory is going to get snapped up and sold online via eBay and whatever, because anybody that missed Hasbro toy shop is now going to be facing the, you know, it, the, the first big price test is going to be people that picked it up in Montreal trying to flip it. So a lot of that inventory is probably going to evaporate pretty quick, actually. Um, you know, whoever's got the lowest price bin, if it's say plus 60, plus 80, plus a hundred dollars, those will probably sell. Because people don't know for 100% where they're going to get them otherwise, if they if they want the full set to put away. Because keep in mind, full sets, you know, whether you crack your sets or not, you're going to do just fine. But full sets down in the very long term are going to be very mm-hmm. rare. 
because they're, because they're guaranteed, like if you have a Kaladesh, a Russian Kaladesh box in five years, you're probably better off leaving it sealed to get max value. Because if you open it and there's no masterpiece and you don't get a foil Russian Panda Harmonicon or something, you're, you've just screwed yourself. But this set is weird because you're guaranteed eight masterpieces and you know exactly which eight there are. So if you want to keep it for yourself, but you don't want to play with it, there's no reason, there's no pressure for you to open it at all. But for people that are looking to flip it, they're, the best bet for vendors to pick up 20 or 30 of these is going to be to crack it for singles, right? Because the, if, if they can get 25 for the bad, the, the bottom four Planeswalkers, 50 for Elspeth and Tezzeret, and then 100 for the other two, then they're, crack, they're selling 400 on less than 300 in, right? Which is, if they, they'll probably price, and the market will end up pricing them in the 400 to 450 range if, they're, if you bought each single individually, would be my guess. There'll be some downward price pressure on that if the market floods with extra copies. And then over time, it will start moving in that direction again. So, but if you look internationally, subtracting Montreal and Vancouver, you've got two in Japan, you've got one in France, one in Australia, one in Poland, and one in the UK. That's it. So if it's in any other country, say Germany, Germany is a big magic market, lots of people in Germany, um, tons of LGS is registered there. They're not getting a shot at it. So they've got, they have to ship it. They're probably going to buy it on MKM from somebody that got them in France mm-hmm. or the UK. Any other country in Europe, Italy, Spain, et cetera, they, you can easily make the argument that they have less overall collector demand than something like North America does. But there are still going to be, you know, pretty easy to imagine there are 50, 100, 200 guys spread across the rest of the EU that are going to want to snap up copies and then drain all the excess from those European GPs. Likewise, in Japan, like Tokyo doesn't get a GP. So Tokyo has got to draw all of its inventory, and that's like a city of 30 million or whatever, from the other two Japanese GPs. So the Japanese GPs are probably going to suck up most of theirs. I wouldn't expect very much inventory to escape Australia because they're famous, famously landlocked by their shipping costs. So only vendors are probably going to escape with extra copies from there. A lot of that adds up to me that even if there is downward price pressure on the singles um, as these GPs unfold in the next six to eight weeks, six to eight months out, prognosis prognosis still seems yeah. pretty good. And, and we weren't clear on that at the start of today. And you, we, we were both yep. like, uh, I don't know. And I know I had asked you a couple of times, like, how many are you buying? And like, I wasn't sure how deep to get in. Like, I could have pushed a lot harder with my local play group who goes to GPs. And I kind of pulled back and I was like, well, I locked in two. I'm going to hang back and kind of see where this goes. But given how it went today on the Hasbro Toy Shop with it selling out as quickly as it did. And now seeing the Channel Fireball page uh, events starting to go uh, pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on board that these are pretty hard to miss on especially when you're like it's only 25 dollars a planeswalker to break even like that is real cheap shit like fairy dominaria copies of teferi are more than 25 right they're like 35 bucks so <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy that he's going to be a, a good chunk of change he's like a hundred dollars out of the out of the gate so it's they're they're in good shape um and i think you're going to be hard pressed to to miss with them if you can get them but man today was just a debacle. We haven't even really talked about just generally how bad of a product release this was. Just, you know, we've talked about it in the past, but like having gone through it today, it was roughly what I expected, just somehow even a little bit worse with posting the to be announced to be released tomorrow date and then going on sale immediately after and all the problems with the payments. Um, 
but I mean, we don't need to rehash it, but boy, it was abysmal. It was as abysmal as expected and then some. I, I should also point out one of the factors playing into why, you know, people are like, would be right to be wondering, how is it that Hasbro Toy Shop has been so bad for so long? Because it's been like a decade. It's And it's always been the same. There's been two versions of the site in that time period, and they were both equally unstable anytime they were under pressure. The site, and to be fair, the site works relatively fine, um, you know, on any given Sunday. But when it's under pressure, it's always a clusterfuck. And the reason for that, in my understanding, having, ta- having talked at length with people in the warehouse um, that actually fill these orders, that's a third-party operation. Hasbro Toy Shop is almost certainly outsourced, the, the website itself, and the warehousing and logistics side is almost certainly outsourced. They're not Hasbro employees. And so there, there's no, like, that contract they have with them takes a huge pile of hassle in theory off Hasbro's lap and Hasbro, you know, magic's an important brand for Hasbro, but it's not everything to them. And an exclusive that's only going to sell a couple of million dollars, like whether it goes bad, goes good. No one in the executive chambers at Hasbro gives a shit, right? Like it's not going to, even if it showed up as a like blip on the radar on IGN or something and like jumped, jumped out into the wider gaming media for a day, Ah, eh, whatever. Like that kind of negative PR does not hurt Hasbro as a company. It's not going to show up on the stock ticker. But, you know, it pisses off a bunch of diehard Magic fans. They can live with that. Like they still got their money. Like the project is a success. <laughs> if it, we know that Channel Fireball has pre-purchased their sets and the, and the Hasbro allotment sold out. So from the raw numbers, this is going to register as a, this project was planned and executed well, yeah, successfully. Yeah, earlier you mentioned that you said something about the high volume, the the market of people that this is for and blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember exactly what you said, but you were in the middle of a sentence. So I didn't uh, just interrupt you, but I was thinking like, well, sure, the people who are willing to spend that money are, uh, are, are the most enfranchised, but that means they're also the least likely to not spend, the least likely to care. Like the people that you want to give the best market experience to, the best buying and selling experience to are the people who are new to the brand, new to the product and kind of have some trepidation about it. You want them to feel comfortable and safe. But people like us who will throw $600 multiple times to a terrible website that seems broken without hesitation, like they don't care if the experience sucks for us because they know we'll do it anyways. They know that we almost relish the idea of it being awful because it means we're willing to put in the effort where others aren't, which means we get more of the good stuff that people don't. Um, so I, really they're just like, who cares? It's like an abusive relationship. It's like, who cares if you're, I don't care that I'm treating you badly because <laughs> you're going to keep coming back for it. And I know you will. Uh, well, and, and they're fully aware that exclusives that sell out and there's a big fuss about is that's how you release exclusives. That's how everybody releases exclusives. You don't want it to be easy to get Nikes or Supreme gear. You don't want it to be hanging out on the site for three weeks, like easy to get. That that misses the whole point. You want to have some small portion of your products be represented as hyper exclusive, even if they're not. You know, you want it to feel like there was ever only 50 of these, even if they printed 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000 or whatever. You want it you want the market to feel like they're supposed to be excited about this stuff so that they'll pay you this insane margin. Listen, they just sold us 24 booster packs, less than a full booster box for two and a half times to actually versus say average eBay price of a booster box, which hovers in like the 80 to 90 range. So 80 versus say 240, like you're talking about a triple up. 
So this is yet another case of them selling us a $240 premium booster box. Mm -hmm. And that's a massive win for them. (laughs) Those margins are amazing. And whoever came up with that whole continuing product line gets another notch in their belt. What they really did was figure out how to give you a master set that had no development cost whatsoever. They sold you Masterpiece Masters, gave you eight masterpieces, and the rest of it's just cards they Mm. already developed for Guilds of Ravnica. And they got away with that. So that fills the slot, the revenue slot that a master set would have filled this fall. That from all angles oh, yeah. on their end, I mean, that it's, looks it's brilliant. A, it's a total win for Hasbro. They got exactly what they want. They don't have to do any work just dealing with distributing these specially and putting them in the random packs. They don't have to worry about people mapping the damn things. They don't have to go through any of the marketing effort necessary to like play up a masterpiece component. Like it's it's essentially the lowest effort way to release a product like like this, right? Like we're going to print them. We're just going to shove them in some sealed product here in the factory. We're going to sell factory to consumer, right? Like that's what we're doing. Uh, you don't have to go through a middleman for them. They let Channel Fireball, you know, let Channel Fireball have some just to kind of be a little nice, but like they didn't have to. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think it was about nice. I think it was, I think Channel Fireball made a strong argument that, hey, GPs need some help. This isn't going to like fix them, but this is this bring this will bring in traffic. Yeah, possibly. People will end up going to these GPs to pick up this this product. Any any versions that happen to be on the prize wall. It also like I've been staring at the GP list for weeks. I know way more about the GP schedule <laughs> than I would have otherwise because of this product. That matters. I mean, I'm a new dad, so I can't just run out of the house and fly to GPs anymore. But people that are in their mid twenties, early thirties don't have kids can consider doing that and they're going to be that much more aware of it. So it's a minor impact on the on the success of the GPs, but it's, it helps. And it certainly helps Channel Fireball's bottom line because whatever wholesale agreement they negotiated for these, they are getting a sweet margin. Trust me. Um, for sure, that's true. And here's here's the thing. I guarantee you the second part of this is already planned and ready to roll. In fact, I bet the art's all designed. They've already picked the second set of Planeswalkers. Guarantee you we're going to hear about that after Christmas. And we're going to there's going to be a whole nother set of these for the next Ravnica block for the next Ravnica set. Okay, yeah, for the next Ravnica set. Yes. Um, And then, you know, they'll probably reevaluate from there. But there's no way this is just a one off. Now, I do have one comment on what they should be doing to make this a little better. They need a lottery system. Set up a website a month in advance. You put your email in there and you either win the lottery or you don't to be able to buy it. And then you can do it at your leisure. And integrate it with Channel Fireball so that you can choose to either pick it up at a GP or get it shipped to you and get a nice, tight little 2018 e-commerce scenario going that doesn't waste a lot of people's time because it really is ridiculous as a brand uh, engagement experience. The the thousands of people hours that were wasted today that could have been used to fight Trump (laughs) that were instead devoted, wasted on us trying to buy this collectible that's, that's product. an amusing alternative to how you spend your time. Um, <clears throat> not that I disagree, just I don't. Well, because I, I bring it up because it's funny that like a lot of people said on Twitter, oh, I'm not, I'm V, I'm like boycotting this because I, I put up a survey that said like, will like, did you want some and get some, like want some and get one, want some and get none and you're going to buy singles after or you don't want mm-hmm. any part of this. And the people that said they didn't want any part of it were by and large saying, you know, this is going to hurt the LGSs. They should be making sure they have access to this kind of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, like, A, 
That's just not true. They being an LGS is not a promise that every product Wizards puts out is going to get sent to you. Um, and nobody's shown me any hard math that proves that LGSs are failing and need the help. Um, and a lot of that is very anecdotal. Um, and I don't think anybody, including Wizards, has super excellent data on that. They they would have the most visibility from the WPN side of things, but there's a lot also a lot of stores that carry Magic product that only get it through distributors and have no relationship with Wizards whatsoever if they don't actually run under the WPN umbrella. So when somebody like Rudy goes and makes a video about how stores are failing and blah, 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 take all of that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Can stores make use of something like this? Yes. But if you think that you would have got this cheaper through a store, you're crazy. Some stores might do some, try to be ultra honorable and do some kind of lottery system at MSRP, but this would have ended up like some of the better FTVs did as a premium price product in stores. And if they got it from Wizards at whatever, 200 and MSRP was 250, you would have seen this at stores at 300, 350, 400, 400, 450, depending on what was happening with online pricing. And a, and a lot of stores would have elected to sell it online instead of giving it like, giving it away locally, depending on, you know, the management of the store. So don't assume that LGS is getting this would have solved any problems. Um, the other half of it is like anybody who's saying like they're going to make it political and not support the product. Um, you're not, you're not going to end up buying the singles you want for your EDH decks six yeah. months from now. I don't believe you for a second. And if you're in the, the same guy, people that are posting this are dudes like standing in the picture wearing a bunch of Nike gear. And it's like, if you're not, not buying Nikes on the basis of sweatshops. There's no way you're going to hold off on on masterpiece Teferi when you want them for your Atraxa deck. The willpower of the gaming community to maintain their boycotts is staggering in its ineptitude. There is a famous screenshot yeah. of a Steam yeah. group, and the Steam group was titled uh, "Boycott Call of Duty." Might have been like COD for Black Ops. I don't know. Boycott one of the Call of Duties. That was the Steam group. It was full of, I don't know, it's 100,000 people or whatever. And then the day that that exact game released, you could take a screenshot of the current members of that group and every single one of them was playing the game. Like they're in a group that says Boycott COD and they're all playing COD. And it wasn't even like it was weeks later and they cracked. It was a day of release. Um so yeah, no one and all these people saying they're going to boycott or full, but uh, I, I do agree that keeping the product exclusive is absolutely intentional, like making it a pain. Uh, but there are certainly ways to accomplish that that aren't so painful for everyone involved. And I think you hit it correctly is like do a lottery, right? Like do a lottery linked to your DCI number. You have three weeks, go to this website, plug in your uh, email, plug in your DCI number, um, and then you know we'll let you know if you can buy one. You can do it at your leisure. And I like the idea of being able to pick it up at GPs. Like That way, everyone feels like they can get involved. They have a choice. They can put in. And then if they get lucky and they get there, now they have maybe they have like 72 hours to like, oh, shit, I actually won. I have to go secure funding, essentially. Um, so I think that's a good idea because telling them to just dump the contractor that they use for their web presence and warehouse would be great, right? Because that company clearly is doing a poor job or at the very least doesn't care because it's not like the amount of traffic on that website today was surprising. They knew damn well what was going to happen. They still didn't allocate any additional resources to making sure they could keep up. In fact, I almost wonder if they took servers away. <laughs> um, 
So there's certainly ways to do this that still keep what they're shooting for without being uh, suffering. And to just roll back a little bit further, and one of the things you said about driving traffic to GPs, and it's like, I, you know, I'm not going to any of these GPs personally and wouldn't be, and I, I'm not going to because of the existence of these things. But 10 years ago, if I was on the fence and like miss my chance to get them online and I really wanted a set, I might message my friends and be like, hey, are you guys, you guys still have a free room for Montreal? Cause like, I wanna go now. I wanna go and get a set. I managed to order one. I couldn't get one online, but I can get one at the GP. I'm gonna go with you. Or better yet, you find out that these are gonna be at the GPs and you're like, oh, I wasn't gonna go, but are you telling me if I go and buy two of these things, I can resell them like on the floor and make back the cost of travel and the hotel room and my entry fees. And then some like, essentially, if you go to a GP and buy these, you can sell them on the floor and probably cover all of your costs for the event. And that is going to pull a lot of like younger, like early 20, mid 20s who like might have not been sure if they wanted to go or like they wanted to go, but money was tight. Well, now if they show up, the event's paid for and all they have to do is flip this set. Uh, so I do think that you'll generate a fair bit of traffic. I mean, it's not going to be a huge amount, right? Like this is not that many people, but a lot of people will be interested in going to the GPs that they weren't because the idea of getting to pay for it was a big deal. I remember the difference between going to a GP or not was like, well, is a hotel room split between two people or four? If it's a two person hotel room, I don't want to pay for it. It's too expensive. Four people, I'll go, right? Like the difference of 50 bucks was, was whether or not I would go to that GP. Yeah. And I think that, I think the people that go to Montreal this weekend are going to do well. Because there's going to be, we're, we're in a full swing, like panic mode in North America now. And so there are going to be, like, I would guess $500 sets sold on eBay um, this weekend. It looks like uh, sets sold this afternoon at 440 already. Yeah. Um, oh, that eBay. was the other thing I wanted to tell you. I You had asked me earlier off cast about confidence levels. And I was like, well, I wasn't sure. But then I checked the eBay pay, eBay this morning before the pre-sales and saw sold sealed sets at like 550. And I saw the individual prices of the singles were s- sold at 70, 80, 90. And I was like, okay, click. I don't, it's not, it's not going to stay that high because we're about to get a huge flood, but people are excited. So that's good enough for me. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that may not last as more inventory floods the market, but the one that went for like 550, that was the seller that said ships internationally. That's very telling, right? That mm. the international premium is another $100 because some guy in Singapore, you know, there might be 200 guys alone in Singapore that want this set. They got no access. They got a, they got to fly it in one way or the other from the US, Australia, Japan. <laughs> so, you know, people that, that want to lock it down where price is no object, they're just going to buy it. Another set sold for 600 And it's... So, I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that, like, I, I see over 10 sets that were sold over 450 Yeah, that's a lot. And, you know, the thing is, is that even if you're paying 600 bucks for this thing, right? Like, I mean, double what people are generally paying for it, that's still, you might still be totally fine with that because you're like, look at Masterpieces, look at Expeditions, like, if I pay $800 for this set, I'm paying $100 a planeswalker. I'm still probably relatively okay. So even, you know, I'm not saying like you or I are doing that, but if you're like, you've got some cash in your pocket and you want to own one of these sets, you can kind of rationalize paying 800 bucks for one of these if you need to. Um, when you kind of break it down to $100 per card, that's not crazy when you consider what expeditions and inventions do. So I, who knows, especially if you're international, you know, you're like, well, you know, 
I don't know what I'm going to be able to get. So, all right, man. We are now at just under two hours on our cast that James told me. Would be an hour. To start would be would be under an hour. So, okay. <laughs> I, I, I do have one up. final point on Mythic Edition. Okay. This is the, the one, because I, I think it's, you know, we've done a fair amount of hyping it up that it's going to go well. Here's the one cautionary point. None of us have held these cards yet. And the first video we saw, the foiling looked eh, eh. And if if the the player base latches on to try, you know, it's very human if you don't get access to something to find a reason to insult it and make yourself feel better for missing out. So if the cards get out there and the foiling is very like similar to FTV, we know it's different, but we don't know how different. And people go, you know what? I don't like that foiling process anyway. That could definitely hurt. I think it's does it's going to be pretty tough to suppress Teferi and Liliana, but it could hurt the rest of them. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I think at a certain point, rarity supersedes quality of the card, essentially. Like, mirrored in foil chrome moxes. Like, that card, you can hold that card unsleeved in your hand and not be able to tell that it's foil. They're really bad. Uh, but they're so rare, especially in great condition, like that the price will be kind of high. So, but I agree with you that like it won't help, right? The invocations are probably 10 to 30% cheaper than they would be if you could read them and they looked good. But all right. Thanks for the input here. Um, where can people find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MDGPrice.com. And I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTGPrice.com. I do the Watchtower series where I outline some cards for uh, for you to keep an eye on. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 128 or no, sorry, 138. Uh, I thought it was a great one. Nice and short. A lot to talk about with Mythic (laughs) Edition. I'm sure we'll get some uh, we'll be reviewing this topic in future weeks. Uh, Thanks again for joining me, James. Glad to be back and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MGG Fast Finance. (laughs) 